And you can live in the day. Welcome to Man in the Making. Did you feel that energy yes, behind yes. the welcome? <laughs> My ears busting for a nice energy. I'm joking. Uh, sometimes, sometimes I listen to the show and, and, and I listen to the intro and I'm like, man, you got to have a lot of energy right in the get-go uh, to get fired up or else. I don't know. Hey, everyone. Uh, thank you for subscribing, tuning in, and listening. Um, this this uh, past few days i've heard some amazing things from listeners as always we appreciate your feedback rokas i didn't tell you about this mm-hmm. but i uh, got a great message here from our friend and listener he said your podcast has been great really appreciate it Wanted to know more about transmutation. Okay, so in the, one of the meditation episodes, uh, the double meditation episode thing we did, the other last ones, um, we talked about transmutation and uh, celibacy and things like that. So there are yogis out there who don't get a chance to hear about that a lot. And like you were saying, Rokas, you just don't, you don't hear about it. There, there's not a lot being said or produced online in, in communities. Um, and that's because a lot of people don't, don't two, two things. A lot of people don't know it that well. And a lot of people don't practice uh, seminal retention. So this is always a breath of fresh air for, for this listener. And um, he says, wanted to know more about transmutation. I have read stuff. But you explain concepts very well, and it's easy to understand. If you don't have time, I understand. But I've been attempting it on and off for a while. So I said, okay, um, what specifically about it does the show, should the show cover? For me specifically, he goes on to say, I can practice it with ease, but then my mind thinks to be alive or to be a man I am supposed to be in the area of the mind around lust and lowering my, uh, my nature. It feels like it's sort of being afraid of success, afraid of my own abilities. Maybe that sounds crazy. Was wondering what would be the yogi perspective. So, so <clears throat> this, does, this isn't crazy at all. Uh, that's actually a fairly common uh, way of thinking. I remember being raised around uh, my peer group as thinking, um, you know, pornography and uh, masturbation and stuff like that is normal. It's, it's something that you should do. It makes you kind of one of the guys. Um, and, and that, that continues as you go, as you get older, like that doesn't, that, that doesn't really change from what I can tell, even around uh, intelligent people, you have to really get around mystics and people that philosophically become like intellectual and philosophical at the same time, before you start to learn about um, Tantra, which is um, practices in Eastern philosophy regarding um, the body and ways of manipulating uh, the forces of the body. 
Um, so everything that we experience in the world is like surface level. And when, when we start going deeper, you know, we get to a, a rare population of people. So it's not common to experience people that talk about this kind of stuff. So it's understandable to uh, doubt it yourself. So, and I will say in, in regards to saying my mind thinks in order to be alive, be a man, I am supposed to be in that area of the mind. Some, some of the philosophers that I uh, respect the most uh, have said the same thing. Like Henry David Thoreau writes in Walden, I, end quote, I, I, I enjoy the instinctive part of my mind, like the animalistic part, end quote, right? I, I paraphrase that a little bit, but he's, he was saying how he enjoys that part of himself and he doesn't want to lose it. Now, this is a brilliant man. That gives pause for thought there, because if he's saying that, there's an interesting reason behind it. And I have said on this show, oh, maybe I've said it on another show. We were talking about um, keeping this like savage part of, of your, your manhood. And I kind of align with that. However, uh, you should be able to turn it off when you want. And there's nothing that makes you like less of a man if you don't entertain lustful thoughts. So I said, that doesn't sound crazy. There's a natural and social drive to staying or at least touching into instinct, right? Naturally, like within us, we, we have that instinct. It's, it's self-creating. Uh, it recreates itself. And socially, right? Like I just covered on, it's, it's normal. It's normal socially. We're designed uh, as a group to kind of be normal. A yogi's perspective is designed around, I'm just reading my response to him because I couldn't remember it. A yogi's perspective is designed around goal-motivated behavior. We've talked about this before because goal-motivated motiva behavior is how we uh, live and engage with reality. It's a value hierarchy type of perspective. It's a Peterson, Petersonian, how would you say that? Aristotelian, Peter... Peterson, I don't know. It's a Peterson. So goal-motivated behavior is why we do anything, right? So I went on to say we're constantly having to remember why we have our goals, which is why monks, yogis, teachers are covered in reminders like clothing, beads, and jewelry, and mantras. So a yogi's perspective about this whole thing is they, they are ready for when the mind brings its own self-creating mechanisms back up. The mind will remind you that you're not, that that's not your goal. Um, you want to entertain the instinct and the instinctive mind, and you want to be the savage. So if you have a goal of transmutation, seminal retention, celibacy, in, in the name of, of yogic insight and enlightenment, you're going to have to constantly remind yourself that that's the case, that that's what you want, because your mind is, is designed to not do that. And you're fighting against the current. So 
when you swim against the current, you can't stop for a second or else you lose all the momentum gained. You lose actual ground and you start to float backwards the moment you stop. Same thing on the path of anything that you're trying to do, but especially when you're going against the mind's natural tendencies and proclivities, you have to keep swimming forward. You have to keep moving and, and, and reminding yourself constantly why you, the, the why, why you're doing this. And the mystical benefits and the joy and experience of real meditation is not enough, not enough to hold you. I remember that insight in the monastery uh, when I was making serious uh, success in meditation and I was like on a whole other world of progress, like never before. And I thought to myself, <clears throat> as, I, as I could tell myself, I could see myself slipping some, from time to time in conversations uh, and arguments and, and, and um, mental thoughts that I didn't want or didn't think I could have anymore. I thought, uh, okay, so not even the insight that I'm going after itself is enough to hold me and enough to keep my, my goal motivated behavior. I need the reminder no matter what, even if I am successful, it's like, probably if you become wealthy, you still have to maintain some level of standard or else you won't be wealthy anymore. Um, it's like, once you get somewhere, you have to keep it, you have to hold on to it. So that's what we have to do. And the other uh, technique that I uh, mentioned to our friend and listener was that it's not enough to just exhaust ourselves at work and come home and do, do our routines and things like that. We have to do exhaustive, uh, meaningful actions in order for our energies to successfully go in the right direction. So if we have too much time on our hands, we won't be successful at um, remaining uh, in purity and, and high-mindedness. If we have too much energy, we will naturally need a release um, and we will eventually overeat or become lazy and, and, and fall off the path in some way or another. So the, the way to con constantly maintain our standards, if we are wanting to be this, this practice, this transmutation and, 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 for yogic benefits, if we're trying to be this yogi, then we have to exhaust ourselves with meaningful activity. And I say that because he was mentioning, the listener was mentioning that I am exhausted at the end of the day. I go to work and, and, and everything that I come back home. And it's like, okay, so it's not just enough to exhaust ourselves. It's, it's meaningful exhaustion. So to use the energies of the body is to use our creativity, not just to use the body. Uh, but there's got to be intention behind it. So one of the classic examples for me is um, uh, athletic performance, athletic performance for me is a massively meaningful activity. Um, sometimes it's lifting weights. Other times it's jujitsu. Um, 
when I was younger, it was like running. I got really into running. I'll get really into something. And then that becomes my thing. So just work alone, if I were to depend on work, it wouldn't be enough. Because work to me is, is, is not my total passion. You know, it's got to be something that like, it's personal, it's I'm usually alone. And it's it's something that I can get inside my own head and just clear everything out. Um, and like, I'm passionate about this podcast, right? But this podcast isn't enough. It wouldn't be enough. Um, there's too much exhaustion uh, behind it. There, there's, there's not necessarily a, a, um, a reciprocation of energy all the time. Like when you get a, like when we get messages from listeners, you get like a boost of energy back, right? But that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, if it happened like every single day, that would be a different story. Then I'd be like, okay, let's monetize this thing and, and go full time. But um, it doesn't happen like that every day. We don't have the reach and the scope yet. So that's a part of it. I just thought that was interesting. I wanted to cover that uh, briefly uh, and, and recap. And, and anytime someone sends me something, I, I will uh, cover it again on the show um, for sure. Okay. Uh, I think my question ties into this as well. Uh, how can a person improve their emotional stability? Yeah. Emotional, uh, emotional IQ or emotional intelligence is a popular nowadays. Not quite. Emotional intelligence is more social, but emotional stability, I'd say, is more... It could be, it doesn't have to be social. There are other things involved with it. Do you like emotional IQ? Yeah, but emotional IQ is like in a social situation, how well you understand other people off of, let's say, their, their facial expressions, like body language. That's more emotional intelligence, no? Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. But emotional stability, let's say... To me, I mean, everything is, is to me, emotional IQ is 24 uh, seven. Not, you don't just like turn it on in a social environment. It's, but I can see how it would be um, a topic for a social dynamic, but stability, are you saying emotional stability is, is uh, a better term for the 24 seven aspect of emotional emotionality? Probably, yes, I would say. Yeah. And how you react to things is also emotional stability. And, and react to things, meaning not to other people, but just to, to... Even to other people, like in a relationship, like if something really ticks you off, then I'd say that's like not very emotionally stable. I'd say in that example as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for me... Um, I've given a talk about this to NASA. Um, emotional stability is is paramount for uh, for teams at, at NASA. Um, it's like one of the biggest uh, hiring factors. You know, they 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 want robotic individuals because uh, emotion is not very efficient. 
I don't know. What What do you think? Like, how do, have you ever? So this was brought me, up in me, our. Yeah. You seem like an emotional stable, stable, emotionally stable person. I thought so as well on the surface until I got into a relationship, and some stuff from past came up involving trauma, and then I found out I wasn't in as much in control as I thought. So there are still like deep down some emotional problems I need to work on. Mm-hmm. So that's why I also like want to know how to yeah improve like emotional stability in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when we had the red pill guys on, yeah, um, the red pill media, this came up and something they said was do things that increase testosterone, like high testosterone things, so gym and other things, and. Yeah, I was wondering like other things as well. From Make you more emotionally stable, high testosterone. Yeah. I don't remember. I mean, that's that. what they said. Oh, I think yeah. I mean, to to me, that activity goes into um, energy management, um, and and being being self sufficient. So to me, in a relationship, if you're emotionally unstable, you're codependent, like you're depending on, on the other person for happiness. Uh, and I mean, our awareness becomes codependent on everything um, that we that we are aware of. That's the problem. That's the problem of, of consciousness. We, we, we never realize consciousness in its pure form because we rarely understand how to uh, trace it back and how to uncling to things because it's the function of awareness to stick to that, which we're aware of. So um, that's why we get upset in traffic because we start believing that we are personally tied to, to, to traffic and, and the, we believe that the motivations of others are per, and a, a personal attack on us instead of them just, you know, needing to do their own thing. Um, So that's where detachment comes in. And I think the weightlifting, the high testosterone activities, um, you know, energy management, even what we talked about earlier, uh, exhaustion with meaning, meaningful exhaustion, I think that comes down to uh, having a detached an ability to detach yourself from what's going on. Because like when we feel really good in an athletic performance, we are naturally entering into a detached um, state of mind because in order to athletically perform, usually we need to detach. If we're too stuck on something, uh, then we'll probably not perform that well. But when we let go, like in jujitsu, that's when you start actually being much better, much more intuitive. Um, if you're too hung up on ideas, you'll get freeze and then get choked. So the testosterone thing is kind of, is, I don't know if I would keep that though. Um, I don't even know what that means, high testosterone activities necessarily. But to me, emotional stability is uh, maturity that comes from uh, detachment, a prolonged practicing of detachment. And 
we have all these so the mind one of the one of the mystical teachings that that i have in my my training is that the mind we all have the same mind okay so that means that there's only one mind and that there's different areas of the mind and so we have the same part we have the same mind as uh charles manson or a jeffrey dahmer like of any uh schizophrenic bipolar psychopath we have the same areas inside of our brain there's there's no difference except that we're not in that area we're not in that room we're in a different part of the mind we're we're we're, we're able to cut off that area and not go in there because that's for other people right but that's still in there um so if if we're able to take that philosophy and expand it even more to say that we, there's only one mind, maturity really comes a lot faster because we start to have compassion for other people. And especially when we're in a relationship, we get unstable because we, we lack compassion or we don't understand something that the other person is doing or it triggers something within us that we can't and we haven't resolved yet. And what a mystic does is that they try to attain a certain amount of philosophical maturity so that they conquer the mind and understand all areas of the mind. And if we can understand all areas of the mind, then there's nothing left to be discovered. And so we may run across an experience, yet it's already been experienced. Like it's just another part of the mind. So we can look at things from a detached perspective. Now this is difficult to do. And I'm, I'm still learning because um, I, when I came out of the monastery and got into a relationship, uh, I, I came across things that I had to rediscover. Uh, certain things about me were triggered and I had to kind of step back and say, what's going on here? Like, why is this affecting me? Right. Why is, why was my, um, why is my emotional uh, intelligence being thrown off and like being dumb again? And my stability was thrown off. And so what I did was I entered into these like small practices of uh, like personal re-education or personal conditioning where I would uh, like go inside the mind, go inside the trigger, go inside the memory and navigate through it and see how it was even connected to me. Right. And, and the teachings come quickly okay they came quickly and then i was able to kind of snap out of it and understand what was going on so we we feel personally attacked or personally affected 
and then that disturbs our emotional stability. When we take out the personal side of it and, and take out the take out the me, then we find that it's not a deficiency on our part. It's not uh, necessarily a personal attack on us, right? It would, it's, it, it would be anyone. It could happen to anyone, not, not, not just you. And then we understand that it's just a, it's just another, it's just another experience. So that is all what detachment defines. All of that stuff, you can say detachment, and that's what that means. It means not being personally affected by what goes on around us with other people. Um, however, there's a balance. Okay, if you were to just be, and I think we've talked about this before, but we have to keep talking about it. If you were to just be detached and robotic, you would eventually become cold and your, your relationship would fail because you need to be affected by things sometimes to some degrees. Um, for example, when I went through emotional instability in, in my relationship with Helena, in the very beginning, uh, it brought us closer together. Like there was, there, the good times are great, but the, the rough times reveal so much more, uh, so many more layers. And then when, when all that dust is cleared, um, not only do you know the other person better, but you know yourself a little better and you can communicate on another level. There's more trust. Um, there's more, uh, there's more openness. And so we don't want to fear or we don't want to avoid emotional instability. And I think my guru would agree. And he would tell me it's not, if you get into a un unstable position, it's how long does it take you to return to homeostasis? That's the mastery, not avoiding it completely, not ever getting into it again. That is uh, too high of an expectation. It's an it's a unreachable standard for some things. For, for other things, and again, it depends on your emotional IQ, but as you evolve and mature, different things will be the thing that throws you off. So what we, we don't want to constantly be thrown off by the same thing, but it's okay if it happens to us. Um, but, but what's important is that we, we go through it. And if we want to, if we master it, it's like, okay, it's not that this will never happen again. It's that I will, in a matter of seconds, be able to come back from the instability and become stable again. And you'll have to look out for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So one of the devastating aspects of emotional instability is that when someone gets thrown off far enough, 
they declare that they'll never be hurt again. And so they avoid relationships and they avoid life because they don't want to be hurt again. But being hurt is uh, not as bad as holding a grudge and resentment for years and years and years. That's victim mindset. Yes. Yeah. So the, it's the popular Covey snake bite, right? The snake bite isn't that bad. It's the poison that flows through you over time that you that eventually destroys you. It's, it's interesting. Um, so in order to, to conquer this, we need experience. It's not just theoretical uh, research and study and reading that is going to bring us to mastery of the experience. We, we need to do both. So for me, I'm very happy with, with my training in the monastery, but it was incomplete because the experience was not there. Helena, it was a very good vehicle for that, for that experience, for that emotional instability moment. And I was able to step out of the situation, remember the detachment training, take the experience, mold those two together and come up with a personal revelation that led to understanding and resolving of that area of the mind. And now within that same area, um, it doesn't, it's just not a factor anymore. I need something deeper. I need something I haven't experienced yet to throw me off again. And Oh, definitely. The, the late, the, the, the next thing was, was the baby. I've had moments where the baby is crying and, and, re, and just, I lose my stability. Uh, I remember specifically the last time this happened, she was crying and Helena was giving me uh, a suggestion and the two compounding mm -hmm. together was like, really made me upset right so i was like will you do it um and then i i walked away right emotionally unstable could not handle the situation and uh that that happens but like once i hit the hallway i was like oh like there it is again that's a karmic moment that needs to be resolved not with anyone else, but myself, like Helena doesn't care. She's like, okay, you're being dumb. Uh, because she's, that wasn't her trigger moment. So it's something else for her. So if it's, if it's happening to you, then it's, it's usually just you. It's, it's not, it's important to not want other people to be triggered just like you especially in a relationship. So for example, um, oftentimes someone will be emotionally unstable and they want the other person to also be emotionally unstable, right? I don't know. There's some sort of, uh, they want, they want someone to go. And you controlled it. the frame because then you bring the other person into your frame. Probably it's along those lines. Yeah. So, uh, you, that's also in, in, a low emotional standard uh, for intelligence. 
if you're going through something, um, you should probably figure it out yourself um, and maybe with the help of the other person. But I can tell you in a relationship, there's nothing that pisses off your spouse more than when you try to figure it out with like dependent on them. Like, like you have to help me figure this out or, you know, you're partially to blame here or something like that. There's nothing more off-putting than that. And that will push someone away, especially if it's not their thing that they need to figure out. If it's, 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 that's one of the cornerstones of the book. Everything is your fault. Like you're emotionally upset and unstable because you period. If it's not your thing, if it's not your trigger moment, you won't be upset. Nothing will bother you. And the other person getting upset won't bother you either. If you're both upset, it's something you're figuring out together. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of sexual things in relationships that will throw you off. And I'm finding a pattern with former monks and, and getting into a relationship and um, uh, things that are of a sexual nature, sexual histories, uh, sex, the, the past sexual activity of someone else. So, and it's not just former monks, actually. It's, it's, it's a thing in relationships. Like the guy wants the girl to be a certain way and, and, and your, your image of, of, of someone gets thrown off when you learn more about them. And, and that's, that's, that's an emotional test. You know, I should actually write an article about that. That would be huge for um, for Elephant Journal. Uh, Elephant Journal is like a an online journal that I used to write for. Um, it's a real relationship type uh, environment, and some of my articles did really well there. So, you know, what does that make sense? Like, you know, you you were saying you wrote us that you got thrown off. Uh, because of past trauma and things like that did it was sexuality a part of that did it get weird because of it it was just relating to someone else or yeah um some stuff that happened during upbringing yeah and then and then that affected me and then continued affecting me and then i told that person it affects me and then we kind of got into an argument and then she used that against me and then i yeah i got quite angry for a bit so, yeah. yeah. So it's tough because I don't want to say that like everything is on one part of the partner. Sometimes it's it obviously sometimes two people need to talk to each other and work things out together. Right. Um, but there are certain things in a relationship that it's only going to bother you. And the other person is like, whoa, what's going on here? And it's important that they recognize or appreciate that you're going through something. But like sometimes you need to leave, figure yourself out, and then come back and say, hey, I was able to understand what why I was getting frustrated and everything. And you know. And then the other person could say, Oh, I'm so glad that you know you went through that. Like when, when I went through things, uh, emotional instability with Helena and, and it was all me, I would come back after clearing my mind 
resolving it within myself and you just say, Hey, like both being dumb back there, but I kind of figured it out what was going on and, and this and that. And then Helena would be like, great. What do you want for dinner? And it's like, let's get back on track. Let's continue on this because um, that was, that was on you. Like, and then eventually, you know, eventually there are things that bring that cause two people to kind of trigger themselves and they both need to figure things out, right? You both need to figure things out, but it's not all the time. That was a bit of a rant. Um, I'm trying to see how, how we, we get back on track there, but is that, what do you think Rokas? Like, uh, your trail of thought. I'll call it out was nice. Like, yeah, it explained, it explained it quite well for me. I, I don't know. I don't know what to really say. I just remember while listening to you, you were covering it quite well. It was a good approach. So, yeah. I have, I have a client right now who is going through the same thing in their relationship. Uh, emotional instability but uh, this is a very mature, intelligent person, but they're, pull, they're, they're dependent on the other person's reaction. And they want their reaction to be a certain way during certain conversations. And that's not okay. That's called projecting. That's forcing someone to fit inside your image. And that's not okay in a relationship for a lot of things because that person is them. They react their way. And if, if that's not okay with you, then you need to figure out why you're in that, that relationship with a person that reacts that way. Um, if, it's, if it's something you saw a long time ago, we call that a red flag. And that's when you, you know, either talk about that with the other person or, or part ways. But if you committed yourself to a relationship, for example, this one is going on 14 years now. If, you, if you're in that situation and have repeatedly um, swap, you know, um, not reinforced your, 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 your boundaries, then that's your fault. And you can't get mad at the other person for them being them. So one thing I've realized is that I've realized two things. One I've known for a while. The other one I've just recently learned. In a relationship, the, the hardest thing to implement and, and keep are boundaries. The thing that I've known for a while are that boundaries kept save relationships and make them last. However, that is the hardest thing to do with someone that you live with and someone that you want to make happy. Because boundaries will eventually make the other person frustrated. I don't know if that makes sense. If if there's something that makes you, you, that's a boundary. That's a thing that you don't let go of. 
if it's something that you need for happiness, contentment, it, it reminds you of who you are as a person and you like that part of yourself and you want to keep it, when you get into a relationship, eventually you'll have to fight for it. I know that sounds weird, but it's just, it just happens. A relationship will, will test your boundaries. And we don't want to remove our boundaries for the sake of the other person's happiness, because eventually we will become unhappy. And we'll wonder years later why we're unhappy and why we're no longer feel like ourselves. And it's because years earlier, you removed a certain boundary that made you who you were. And that wasn't okay then, but now you're blaming the other person. So this is what happens. The spouse comes to me and complains about the other person. We then backtrack and realize that they became someone else to that other person for God knows why, to, to somehow make the other person happy and agreeable in the moment, years earlier. Years later, after that boundary has disappeared, it comes back because that's a part of who you are. And it says, hey, we like to do this. This makes us feel like us. You're now becoming someone else in a relationship when, when you told the person years earlier that you were someone else. So they come to me and say, my spouse, blah, 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 you know, is, is, uh, I can't believe this and this and this. When in reality, the client is the one who is shape-shifting and changing who they are because of this new boundary. The, the spouse does, needs to see your boundaries all the time and they need to be reminded that that's your boundary. Like that's a thing that makes you happy and that they need to back off. And it's tough. Um, and a lot of times, and, and I've experienced this myself. In just two years, I've almost let some things go that make me happy. And it's not the other person's fault. It's your fault for, for letting those things go. The other person doesn't say, hey, can you remove your boundary? The other person just says, hey, in this situation, can we not do this? They don't psychoanalytically understand that that's your boundary unless you say in the moment, actually, no, this is something that I need to do like forever until I figure out if, that I don't need to do it anymore. And um, it, after a while, it kind of, they let go right? You don't have to fight for it anymore. But there's a time when it's tested, right? For me, uh, that has been early morning, early morning routines. If that's jujitsu, sometimes that's been difficult. I've had to fight for that, um, especially with, with the baby. But without it, I'm a different person that I don't like. And a part of me, which I was in the beginning and I remain, is I'm a kind of a weird person that before the sun comes up, 
I'm out of bed and I'm doing things and I may not be here until the sun comes up. And that's who Helena like first met. I've always been that way. And I have not removed that from my routine. And because if I do that, then I become someone that I feel like I'm wasting time and I almost feel like a, a waste of life, right? It's in my training. It's in my conditioning. So it may seem in your relationship, when you do something, the other person may say, you know, hey, uh, um, you know, you don't really have to do that, right? Like you can do that later in the day or you can do, and, and if you're not careful, you will agree with them and then slowly lose your own belief system. And then you'll blame the other person for your own weakness, for your own ability to compromise your own standards. So maybe a part of emotional stability and intelligence is remaining strong to, to who you are. But before all that happens, you have to know who you are, which is the very reason relationships go south in the first place. Both people or one person doesn't know who they are. And so they get into a relationship thinking that the other person will help them figure that out. And that's wrong. That's an incorrect model. It doesn't work. Someone doesn't, your, your spouse doesn't train you to be someone. You train you to be someone you can live with and to, to enjoy your own skin and to live inside yourself. When you're at that point, then you can actually be in a successful long-term relationship. If you are figuring yourself out, uh, you're going to uh, not be in a very good place in a relationship eventually because the other person doesn't, won't know who you are and, and you won't know yourself either. And they'll try to help and you'll think that it's working, but it, it, it won't work. It won't work. And then you'll meet, you know, that's when one of the spouse meets someone else. They knew who they, know who they are and that's much more attractive. And then things go south from there. And then that's when that person who didn't know who they were gets hurt and they enter the cycle of, I'm never going to get hurt again. I'm, I'm going to, I'm never going to be in a relationship like that again. I'm not going to get hurt, blah, blah, blah. And then they go off onto their own spiritual journey, blah, blah, blah. All of that stemmed from emotional instability, from not knowing who you were and not knowing what your boundaries were. And this is all really specific to relationships, but we also started talking about like emotional stability in not in a social setting. So did we get thrown off somewhere in there? But I think that's what I was relating to still. But by not social setting, I mean, when you have to deal with it yourself, it's not necessarily when other people are around. That's why I meant like not social setting. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was covered. 